0: reading of God's Word. We are going through the book of Philippians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Anyone need a Bible? Anyone need a Bible? You can raise your hand if you need a Bible. If you don't have one, you can keep that Bible as a gift, as long as you promise to read it a lot. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read the first few words of verse 27 and then skip on down to the beginning of chapter 2. So verse 27 begins only, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So now go down to chapter two. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord Of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery. And really, it means consider it something to be grasped onto, to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Father I thank you in Jesus name for this word your word the Bible says that the word is living and active it's It cuts, it divides, it does surgery, and that's why we're here today, Lord. We're here for surgery because we need it. We need it every day, but particularly when we gather here, Lord. As your children together, as the body of Christ, we come for a special meal, a special surgery, a, a heart surgery in which, Lord, We're changed by your spirit through the word, Lord, so that we can live lives that glorify your name, loving you, loving each other, loving the stranger, Lord. That's who we want to be. And I pray, Father, do that good work in us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. I begin with this morning with a question, do you believe that God is your father and that he loves you? Do you believe that God is your father and that he loves you? The verses we just read, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, the last three words, verse 11, are these words, God, the Father. Is he your father? And do you believe that he loves you? I want to begin this morning by sharing with you something that happened to me last week, in which God showed me that he is my father and he loves me as a father does. Last week, Steffi and I were in the city of Miami Beach taking part in a celebration of the 30th anniversary of Calvary Chapel of Miami Beach. We arrived there 30 years ago just two or three months after it started. Prior to attending Calvary Chapel, prior to finding it, churches were a whole lot different to me. Calvary Chapel was the church that I had thought or had really wanted to find, but I didn't know that it existed. And it didn't take but one or two visits where it was like, I can't believe it. A church like this actually exists. And I was just filled with joy. This is 30 years ago. I discovered the church I always hoped existed, but never knew that it did. And it just revolutionized my whole view and, and life and ministry. Calvary Chapel did. And at the church breakfast this Saturday, you're all invited uh, to the church breakfast. It's this Saturday morning. The information is in your bulletin. The elders of the church are going to share with you what is uniquely Calvary Chapel. What does that mean? distinct from maybe other churches. uh, We don't think we're any better than other churches, but we have a particular way of ministry, of doing ministry, and uh, doing church. And so that's gonna be this Saturday. I hope all of you come this Saturday morning to that breakfast. It's a church-wide breakfast. Information in the bulletin. Anyway, 30 years ago, Stephanie and I went uh, there to this church we walked in just with my so we had one kid at the time there was another in the in the womb and after 3 years of pouring our lives into the church in Miami Beach that church Calvary Chapel of Miami Beach sent us up here to start a church in Boston So last week, we attended the 30-year anniversary of the church, and we stayed at a condominium, uh, a high-rise in Miami Beach, owned by someone who used to attend the church here, Joe Logrippo. Some of you may know him. And uh, his apartment, Joe's apartment, is is on the 27th floor of this high-rise. Now, the city of Miami Beach is not the same as the city of Miami. A few of you may know that. So you have Miami is on the mainland. The city of Miami Beach is a long seven-mile island which sort of hugs the coast and, and shoots up the, the southeast coast of southern Florida, about seven miles, and it's very narrow, very narrow. You can walk from one side of the island to the other in about 10 minutes, And there's hundreds of condos on this long, narrow island, hundreds. In fact, I'm sure well over 1,000 in Miami and Miami Beach. There And so the condo unit we're in is on the 27th floor. It's on the very southern tip, the very bottom tip. It's facing north. The Atlantic Ocean is on the right. The bay in front of Miami, the city of Miami is on the left. And then you have this long island just filled with condos that shoot up the coast. And I'm sitting out on the balcony, uh, in the first morning I was there, and I have my Bible study. I'm on a tall, I guess you would call it a bar stool, one of those tall stools right next to the the balcony. And I was in the first chapter of 1 Timothy, which begins with, Among other things, it says grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father. And that was the Bible study that I started with. It was last uh, Saturday morning. And I'm looking out. The view is just spectacular. And all of a sudden, I look down. And I realized that immediately to my left, like looking down like this, there's a 15-story condo well down there. And it's the building immediately adjacent to the one I was in. And I realize it's the building that Stephanie and I moved into 30 years before. My employer had put us in there for three months. And I'm looking right down on it. And and a, a week after we moved into this, this, this condo that I'm staring at my Bible study, um, someone put a Calvary Chapel card on my mother's car who was visiting us. The following Sunday, we walked into the Calvary Chapel for the first time. Then I looked right straight and I realized I'm looking five or six blocks away at the very block where the building was that I walked into the Calvary Chapel. And then I look a little more to the right, and it's the building that we moved to after that first building. And to top it off, right in front of me, about a quarter mile, is the hospital where two of my kids were born. Rather, one of them was born, one of them didn't make it to the hospital she was born on the floor of the lobby of the condo that's right there that we were living in and I'm looking at. So I'm looking at this thinking, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on now of all the condo buildings Joe could have chosen in South Florida, he chooses this one and he only moved in last month. And to make it even crazier, he's selling it now. It's a long story, he's selling it. And so I'm here and I realized, Lord, you orchestrated this whole thing. You you, you brought me down here to Miami Beach to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Calvary Chapel, first time I walked into it. You had Joe buy this condo unit and, and so I could have my morning devotion on my father, it begins with our father, grace, mercy, and peace to you from our father, and, I, I, and, and you've orchestrated this, this whole thing. And my heart was just overflowing with emotion because while this is going on, the Lord is speaking to my heart in a way that was astonishing. It was astonishing, he was thanking me for the last 30 years of my life. He was praising me for the last thing of 30 years of my life. He, he, he was letting me know how happy he was with me. Calvary Chapel, this is what fathers Do. This is what fathers do and and I began to weep, not a little a lot, because I could think all I could think of was this is so unfair this I just don't deserve this I'm a deeply flawed man there's i have so many I've had so many stumblings over this last thirty years, so many failures, so many mistakes and 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 so um I realized you know I have a problem just. Believing that God loves me like this. And what's my problem? Why do I have a difficult time believing that God is my father and that he loves me? There's at least two reasons. One, there's seven billion people in the world. And and I have a hard time believing that out of seven billion people, God loves me. My father loves me. But the second reason is that I have such a hard time believing that he would ever orchestrate this crazy thing where I'm looking at the, last 30, the beginning of the last 30 years of my life. He could have chosen any one of a hundred other condos. Joe could have chosen his condo in this unit to look south or, uh, south or east or west. I wouldn't have seen what I saw. But God so loves me and, and, and he wants to bless me so much, he put me right there at that time. But I, I'm thinking, how can this be? I'm so flawed. Why would God do this? I've let God down a hundred, hundreds of times, thousands of times in my life I, I, I've sinned. How could um, it ever be true that he loves me when I have the record of sin that I have and my record of sin is not only long, it's deep. Why would he do this for me? How could it be that God, my father, loves me as God, as a father loves? How could he he pour out into my heart, I am happy with you, I'm happy for the last, been happy for what you've done, walking with me, being faithful to me for the last 30 years? How, how can that be? How could I ever get to the point where I have a God who is my Father who loves me like that? And the answer is the first verse that we read this morning, which is Philippians one twenty-seven, which we began with. which says this, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. That's how you gain a relationship with the living God where he becomes your father. Not some impersonal God that is sort of at the, way up in the rafters in a cathedral. No, he is your God that loves you and and. And and as you walk with him, he actually expresses how happy he is with you. Remember, we talked about, by the way, in Philippians one twenty one: to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To live is Christ, which is a great thing. But to die is gain is so much better. Why? Because we'll be out of these bodies and we'll recognize God for who he is. Who is he? He's the God who's happy with you. And that's a really hard time, hard, hard thing for us to believe as we walk obediently with the Lord. It says in, in Philippians, 20, it refers to the gospel of Christ. And it's because of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you gain, you lose a religion and gain a relationship in which God becomes your father. Not just the father of the church, your father. And so what is it? What is the Gospel of Christ? It's Jesus Christ on a cross, covered with blood. We were here three weeks ago, gasping for breath as they do, as used to happen when they were crucified. No clothes for 3 hours his naked body being torched by the middle eastern sun until suddenly after 3 hours the sun became shrouded in darkness and jesus hung on the cross the darkness outside reflecting a darkness in his soul where there was a separation from the father that's why he said my god my god why have you forsaken me and 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 so why was all that happening? Because God, the Father, loved you with such intensity, so wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for you that He sent His Son Jesus Christ into the world to suffer for that record of sin, which is not only long, it's deep. <laughs> That's why it was such an ugly sin. Your sin is so bad, the Bible says. that the Son of God had to be brutalized to pay for it. But it was sufficient to pay for it in full. To purchase a relationship in which you no longer have a religion, you have a relationship with God and God is your father. God is your father. The Bible says that if you believe what Jesus did for you and you receive him as Lord and King of your life, you become born again with full rights and privileges of a son, of a daughter. And as you walk in obedience as a son or a daughter, he will praise you, As any good father does, he will thank you, as crazy as as that may seem, as any good father does, and he is happy with you as any good father is. The Bible says in John one, verse 12, it says, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Do you believe God is your father and that he loves you? Do you believe that? Next verse, Galatians 6, 4. Because you are sons. Because you are sons. He's speaking to people who has, have made Jesus Christ their king, they've recognized that they lived a life in which they cast God behind their back. That's what he says in the book of Ezekiel to the, to the Israelites. He says, you've cast me be, behind your back. And it says in Ezekiel, it says, I am crushed because of that. He's not an impersonal God. He has feelings. Can you imagine? God is, was crushed because of your sin? He was crushed because of your sin Um, and and and, and, and by that, that was a purchase price for you to become a daughter, for you to become a son. It says, because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Do you believe God is your father? And he loves you. not as a human father, but indescribably better than any human father could ever love you. Do you believe that? Now in the book of Mark it says this, it says that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, when he came out of the water, the New King James translation, which like most translations of this verse is not a good one, It's not a literal one. It says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, when Jesus was coming up out of the water after being baptized, that's what he heard. You're my son in whom I am well pleased. Now when we were in the book of Mark, we went over a literal translation of that. And that was this, you are my much loved son I'm very happy with you. As strange as it may sound to you, that God would be happy with you, with all your flaws, as you walk obedient with Him, He's filled with happiness. Oh, that we would get it, that we actually have the capacity to make our fathers, rather, our father happy. Another translation, New Living Translation, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Bible says that you are a co-heir with Christ, with Jesus Christ, meaning an heir is, 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 you're, you're an heir when, of your father and mother. When they die, you receive their inheritance. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You, in, In many respects, you have the same, many but not all respects, you're not gonna sit at the right hand of God, but but here on earth, you have the same rights and privileges in many respects. And it says that as you walk with the Lord, if when you walk by the Spirit and not according to the flesh, you bring your father, God, great joy. You do. That is the God, that, that is the father that you have. And so um, Philippians, let's now go now to Philippians 2.1. So we've settled that. We've talked about the last three or, or four Uh, words of uh, verse 11 of chapter two. I started at the end. Now let's go to the beginning of chapter two. The beginning of chapter two um, lays out some things here which were purchased for you. God your father loved you with such intensity he sends his son to be slaughtered as a lamb for you And that blood that came from that slaughtered lamb was the purchase price for these things here in verse one. Let's read them. This is how much God loves you. He purchased these things for you. It says, says, therefore, verse one, read along with me. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit if any affection and mercy, now let's stop there. A word about those. That word "if" says if 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 if. Now be careful now as you read this. Though that word "if" there um, is is a little misleading here because. Um, the, if, if you if you study and you read commentators, they will tell you that when it says, "If you have any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love," uh, that does not mean that you might not have that in Christ. It, it it's sort of like if I'm in marriage counseling with a husband and wife, and I say to the husband, "If you are her husband, you must take care of her." I'm not saying he's not her husband. Everyone follow me. If I'm speaking um, to a child who's misbehaving and I say to the child, if you're the child of that man, you need to obey him. I'm not telling the child he's not the child by saying if you are the child. That's how these verses should be read. Rather, this verse should be read. Um, In other words, all these things in verse One, have been purchased for you. The first one, it says, therefore, if there's any consolation of Christ. Most translations say encouragement or strength. By the way, there are translations that cut off the word if. You won't see if. It'll just say, you have consolation in Christ. You have the, uh, the comfort of his love. You have a fellowship of the Spirit. You have affection and mercy. Some translations, I think they get it right. They just lop off the if because it, 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 the if tends to be misleading. But all these things you have, and so I've listed them here. The gospel of Christ, this is what it's given you. And again, because of the love of your father, he loved you with such intensity, he sent his son to be as a lamb slaughtered for you. And that blood that, was, um, that blood in the slaughter purchased, among many other things, your eternal salvation, but it also gave you these things, all in this first one. The first is strength in Christ. The in New King James Version says, consolation. Most translations say encouragement or a strengthening. So number one, this is what you have in Christ. You've been granted a strength. Number two, you've been given a comfort of love. This is speaking, I believe, of the love of the Father. Number three, you've been given fellowship of the Spirit. We'll talk about what that means. And the last... The last thing in verse one, it it says has been purchased for you. You have an affection and a mercy, meaning you don't have to be a selfish, lazy slob just thinking about yourself. You actually develop an affection and mercy for other people. We'll talk a little more about that. But let's begin with the first one. It says you have strength. In Christ, that has been granted to you by the Lord, Dave. We can keep that up. We can keep the uh, the chart up. Thanks. This has been given to you. It's a right and a privilege. Do you remember what it says in John 1.12? We read it. It said, "To as many who believed him and received them, he gave the rights, the privileges." To be of, of a child of God, John 1, 12 says. Great verse to memorize, by the way. So one of the rights and privileges you have of, as a child of God, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, is you have a strength. Strength in Christ. There used to be a guy on the radio, his name is Michael Youssef. He was on for years and years. He's an Egyptian. I, I actually knew him. And... Uh, I can't remember if he told me directly or if he said on the radio, he's an Egyptian and he and his friends, all of whom were Christians living in the Middle East, were driving around and they rammed into a limousine in front of them. And the driver of the limousine or someone, rather someone, not the driver, but someone gets out of the limousine and uh, goes up to the driver and he says, let me tell you. My father is Sheikh Mohammed, etc., etc., etc. And the response of the driver was, My father is the king. And the guy looked at him, his eyes were like woo. He got back in the limousine and he drove away. (laughs) And it's true. The book of Habakkuk, I believe, is chapter 2, verse 1 or 2. It says, God says, I am a great king. Your God is a great king. And that in and of itself, that truth, which is Genesis to Revelation, wow, if there's any truth taught, it's that. God is a great king. That strengthens me. That should strengthen you. Your God is a great king. You talk about moving from a place of weakness prior to Christ to a place of strength, knowing that you are a son of God. You're a son of the king. Uh, Knowing that you're a daughter of God, a daughter of the king, God has uh, sent forth his spirit into your heart, which cries out, Father. And, And I tell you what, strength is one of the things that has been purchased for you. Just to know that God is your Father. Romans 8 31 says if God is for us, who can be against us? If God your Father is with you, for you, who can be against you? Psalm 118 verse four says, the Lord is on my side, who shall I fear? What can man do to me? If God my father is on my side, who shall I fear? What can man do to me? There's a strength there that's been purchased for you because God is your father. Jeremiah 19 says, they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you for I am with you. God your father is with you so Christian one of the rights and privileges being a, a son a daughter of God is you have strength number two it says comfort of love comfort of love when you're reading the Bible really good thing to even if you're not a journal person become one and, and there's, because the Bible is filled with little lists and there's a little list here in, in verse one of chapter two and it says, another thing that's been purchased for you because of the love of the Father is comfort of love. A comfort of love. And as astonishing as it is to believe, as I've already shared, he will thank you. The God of the universe, your Father, will thank you for walking faithfully. That's what he did with me last weekend. and is the most strangest thing. God the Father is thanking me for the last 30 years of my life. God the, God the Father, um, it says, God your Father will be happy with you as you walk in obedience. God the Father um, will, will praise you What's interesting that Jesus speaks um, to the Pharisees and he says, he says of them, he says, um, you're obsessed with the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Jesus himself recognizes God will praise you. He's your father. That's what good fathers do. He, they, he, he will praise you. Uh, the story of the prodigal son. Probably the best story of the love of the father uh, in the Bible where the son gets half of his, uh, of his inheritance before he even dies. His father gives it to him. He goes and wastes it on drinking uh, alcohol and, and prostitutes. He, he, he has no more money. He's starving to death. He comes home. And when he thought he would get judgment, he got a loving Father, who fell down on his neck, covered him with kisses, ordered a fatted calf to be made for a party that they would have a barbecue, ordered a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and a robe. And then they all party. That's the love of the father. The comfort of love. The comfort of the father's love. When you feel like you deserve punishment and he gives you grace, he gives you a reward instead. That's what grace is. That's our working definition of grace at Calvary Chapel in the, in the city. You deserve a punishment, you get a re- reward. That's the, the comfort of love. The third thing here. The fellowship of the Spirit is another just glorious thing that has been purchased for you, Calvary Chapel. The fellowship of the Spirit. What is it? It's that relationship that you have with another believer. You may have nothing in common with them. This was just such a glorious thing when, when I first began walking with the Lord when I was 24. I would meet these, these folks. I had nothing, nothing, nothing in common with them. But within five minutes, they're like my best friend. Why? Because they loved God. Do you want to know what God did with me? Do you want to know what he did with me last week? And then they would share what they knew and it would just give me such joy just this morning. I was in Franklin Park or walking back from Franklin Park and, and a guy had a, a cross on his hat. And I said, What is this cross? There's a 70-year-old man. Um, he, the way he was speaking, he had he had just become a Christian, and there was just such joy in him. Fellowship of the Spirit. What the world would pay any amount of money to have, to be able to go to other men and women and just have a joy and a connection really within minutes of knowing each other. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in him is the same as the Holy Spirit in her. And while they're interacting, boom, there's fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So the fourth one, it says um, um, affection and mercy. This was purchased for you, purchased for you. Transforming. Uh, the, the, what, what the blood of Jesus purchased um, for you was a transformation from someone who's just consumed with me. Consumed with me. Just taking and taking and taking and taking. There's a, um, um, a, a wonderful proverb, one of the proverbs, it says, uh, the leech just has one cry, gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> and, and that's how we come out of our mother's womb. It's gimme, gimme, gimme. But and, and, and as we grow up, you know, in babies it's kind of cute sometimes. Uh, uh, but 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 as you grow older, it gets uglier and uglier. When you're a gimme, gimme, gimme. But what Jesus purchased for you is an affection and a mercy for you, where you actually become a person who has the capacity to give affection and mercy. Even when you're wronged. Even when you're wronged. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, this is what um, is meant by affection and mercy. This is Jesus speaking. You will be sons, you will be daughters of the Most High if you are kind to the unthankful and the evil. And so Philippians uh, chapter. 2 verse 2, here is, um, in, in Philippians chapter 2 verse 2 um, is, where, is where we're going to go next. But can we have the chart one, one more time? So verse, verse 1 says, listen, if you have any strength in Christ, if you have any comfort of love, if you have any fellowship of the spirit, if you have any affection and mercy. Now let's go to verse two now. Verse two says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And so what he's saying here is, those four things that you now have as a privilege, that strength, the comfort of God's love, the uh, fellowship of the spirit, that affection and mercy, use it in order to foster a oneness, a unity among yourselves. That's what he's saying. Could hardly be a more important topic the topic of Christians loving one another. Jesus says in John chapter 13, by this the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. But John 17 ups the ante by a hundredfold. It says, if you love one another, the world will know that the Father sent me to the world. John chapter 17, verse 21 and 23. It's your homework. You can read it. We're gonna be continuing this next week. It's Just an astonishing truth that whether we're, the difference between loving one another and ignoring one another, don't ignore each other, Calvary Chapel. Don't do that, no. Because when you love one another, John 17, 21, 23 says, the world will know that the Father sent the Son. But let's look a little more careful at this um, this verse, verse two, and then we will wrap it up. And we're having communion today, that fellowship of the Spirit that happens with communion. It says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, I'm gonna give you a literal translation there. It says, uh, this is Young's literal translation. I was just delighted, by the way, when one of the brothers told me Friday night, I just bought a Hebrew and Greek interlinear translation. I'm like, that's very cool. I like hearing that. That's encouraging, because just getting that literal translation... Here's a literal translation of this verse from the Greek. Fulfill my joy that you may mind the same thing, having the same love of one soul and minding the one thing. Okay, now let's, let, let me just break that down. So when you read verse two, verse two says this. <clears throat> it, it finishes off saying, be of one acure, uh, accord, be of one mind. Now, some people read that and they think, well, that means that Christians have to agree on everything. It says, be of one accord, be of one mind. I remember being <clears throat> in a church church prior to Calvary Chapel where they were buying a church building, not everyone wanted to buy this building because there was a certain amount of people in the church that didn't didn't believe in debt ever. So they were like, the church is going to take a loan, forget it. And, and, And there was a letter that was sent to the elder boards by a very godly woman. And with all humility, she said, we're clearly not of one mind. And she quoted this verse, but she quoted it wrongly. Because what what the because it's just impossible for there are certain subjects. Listen, there are certain subjects you won't even take. Will, even five Christians, you will not get them to agree. And I'll give you one: how to parent little kids in a Christian way. You won't even get two parents to agree on that. Yeah, yeah or or whatever: how to spend uh, money responsibly, or. Uh, uh, you know uh, how to the proper way of dating or courting. A uh, man. I used the word court once, and I got rebuked by a Christian. That people don't even um, people don't even uh, don't will not agree on many of these things. But what this verse says, literally, I think, is absolutely. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. It's gorgeous. It says the last four four words: minding the one thing. It doesn't doesn't say literally one mind. It says minding the one thing. And what is that one thing? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Minding the one thing. I tell you, the unity, Paul is calling for unity here. The unity that will happen The power when a church sets its mind on that one thing. Jesus Christ on a cross covered with blood, gasping for breath, no clothes. For three hours his naked body being torched by the Middle Eastern sun. And then for three hours after he's in darkness hanging on a cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the gospel. And as we move forth, minding that one thing, there's gonna be such unity, there's gonna be such power. And you take a church such as ours and you add a few other churches, they just mind the one thing. There's all kinds of other stuff, non-essentials that we can disagree with. But if we mind this one thing, this city will be transformed. This city will be transformed if we, Boston has this terrible reputation as a city uh, that uh, li, the Christians live in a shell, they live in a, a cave they, 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 as a reputation for cowardice. If you don't believe me, believe the, uh, read the autobiography of Charles Finney. That was his remark coming into the city 150 years ago. They were so scared of the intellectual, the intelligency of the city, they were just, you know, Jesus Christ, Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, that's what they're like. But I tell you, if we mind the one thing and take the gospel out, and Sunday mornings um, before service, I go out and I share the gospel. And I found, even finding this morning, uh, th- th- these people walk into this marathon, I was sharing with them. And with each one, I gained a confidence. The Bible says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God until salvation. And and, you know, it's a wonderful thing if minding that one thing, we move forward. There will be such a powerful unity in that. Jesus Christ on a cross covered with blood and that blood purchased your salvation. That blood purchased uh, a relationship uh, for you, where you can throw aside that religion and 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 gain a relationship with Him. That one thing. So we're going to have communion now. If if the worship team could come up, and we're going to celebrate this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate celebrate communion, where Jesus told the disciples on the night before he was crucified, I want you to do this. When you're together, I want you, when you have the wine, I want you to take that wine and the wine represents my blood. And I want you to take the bread and the bread represents my broken body that was broken for you. And he told us that we need to do it we need to do this on a regular basis because we so soon, so quickly fall back into a performance-based relationship with the Lord where we think and we evaluate, well, you know, have, have I been good enough this week to pray? Have I been good enough this week to to get my prayer answered? Have I been not been be, t- so bad that God will not answer my prayers or or, or it, it, and that I can't talk with him? We so easily back into that. God says we should be doing this on a regular basis. So we have, with the pandemic now, what is it, a year and a half or two years behind us, something like that, we're no longer doing these little things these little these little thingabobs what do you call those things the communion do we have a table back there we have communion table in the back as the worship team as the worship team uh, begins If you by the way if you've been asked to pray please come up if you've been asked to pray please come up yeah come up at this time the prayer if you've been asked to pray thank you And if you'd like to pray before communion, the Bible says, let a man, let a woman examine themselves. Examine themselves before taking communion, lest you be trampling on the cross of Christ when you take that communion. Now, what on earth does that mean? It means that if you're holding on to some sin in your life, you're holding on to it. You're saying, I'm not gonna let go of this thing. Now, I'm not talking about like if you have a bad temper or whatever and, and, and that's how you react. If that's you. You just ask the Lord for forgiveness each time you lose that temper and help to change your heart and renovate your heart. And then you go and take communion. When I'm talking about let a man or woman examine themselves, if you're holding on to something, a sin, and you're refusing to let it go, don't take communion. Otherwise, the Bible says you'll be trampling on the cross. You don't wanna do that. It says the judgment will come on you. There's, there's, if you do that, the cross is an incredibly grave and serious thing. The Son of God became a bloody mess so that you don't have, so that you should not, and cannot, and will not hold on to that sin anymore, but let it go. But by the same token, you may be thinking, "Oh, I'm not going to have communion. You know, this, this thing in my life and that thing in my life." The the, the opposite extreme, you don't want to, you don't want to insult what Jesus did for you to pay for that sin that you don't seem to be able to get over just let it go and say, Lord, I want no part of this thing. I'm letting it go. Forgive me. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. One more thing before we start. You can, you can rise now. You can uh, stand up. If you have never in your life giving your life to the king if you can't say like that Egyptian did my father is the king if you have never made him the king I didn't make him the king until I was in my early 20s if you've never done that you should not be taking communion however you can make him the king by a simple prayer of faith Jesus, I believe the gospel that you hung on that cross so that I wouldn't have to be judged for my sin. And then, you, you, if you died, you raised from the dead. Be my King, Jesus. If you've never done that, come forward and, and pray before communion. Otherwise, at some point, as the worship team is playing, make your way to the back. Grab a cup, take a piece of bread and return to your seats and we will have communion together. Bless our time, Lord, as we close out this service. We want to bless you, Lord. Bless our time in Jesus' name.